told you there was a way to ensure you would always win. (laughs) You may be doubting me immediately because there's a good chance you can remember the last time you failed at something. And whether it was a board game, a business deal, or a relationship, how do you win in those situations? So I get it. The idea of always winning may seem a little suspect because the memory of a failure that you've experienced may be front and center in your life right now. But hang in there with me today because I think once you hear how I'm going to explain this, there's a strong possibility you'll change your mind about the possibility of always winning. Hey, I'm Amy Barge, your personal growth environment specialist, and my passion is to help you go from living by default, doing without thinking, to living by design, by growing on purpose. Now, if you're wondering, okay, what does that look like really? I'm here to be your tour guide. Because as someone who has survived the three big Ds, death of my parents, a painful divorce, and being downsized from two different jobs, I've discovered some insanely practical tips that have helped to keep the gremlin of fear and doubt from taking up rental space on my mental couch. I don't know the exact words your gremlin may be telling you, but I do know this. You're smarter than you think, and you're more resilient than you know. And you're absolutely in the right place if you're ready to give your mindset muscles a workout and get growing. Welcome to the Growing with Amy podcast. I'm going to start this out by saying that I tend to steer clear of using the words always and never because they feel a little hyperbolic and unattainable. However, in this case, with what I'm sharing today, I'm going to make an exception So let me set the stage just a little in case you're tuning in here and just randomly picked this episode to listen to. The past few weeks, I've been talking about specific characteristics of creating a growth environment. Not only what they are, but how you can create them for your team, your family, or even in your own life. So if what you hear today makes sense to you, you probably like going back and listening to episodes three through seven. And as I thought about how I could talk about this particular characteristic of a growth environment, I realized, ugh, this one is the hardest for me. Even admitting that out loud is hard. And I know that at least part of the reason for that is because of the way I'm wired. I don't like to lose or fail or feel like I didn't quite measure up in some way. And that's what today's big idea for creating a growth environment is all about. It's that failure is my friend. Yeah, so embracing not doing something right or well or completely messing up to the point of embarrassment or missing the mark in a way that impacts you and other people is actually necessary if you're going to really have a growth environment. Now, if you're thinking, what? Wait, how is failure conducive to growth? Well, actually, the failure isn't. It's what you do with the failure. So here are two questions for you. When was the time you failed? And what did you do immediately after you failed? So I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. Going through my divorce was a failure. In fact, you've probably heard people say things like, oh, they had a failed marriage. I remember at the time feeling angry and bitter and frustrated and disappointed and even scared. Everything about how I lived and operated as a married woman, a wife, part of a couple, it just came to a crashing halt. 
And it was really hard to look at any part of that as being a friend that I should somehow embrace. I saw it more as a loss to grieve and a wrong that had been done to me that I had to endure. We all have heard that, ooh, time heals all wounds. I actually have found that not to be the case. Time has the possibility of healing all wounds, but time alone is not a guarantee. And I know this because there are plenty of people who talk about some loss or failure they've experienced with the same level of vitriol today as when it happened years ago. Getting to a place where we can really look at failure as a friend means that several things have to happen. And I'm just going to quickly add, it's not always possible to do these things in rapid succession and then you know just be done and move on. That's where the time factor comes into play. At one point, when I was in the middle of my divorce, I had to take the train into downtown Chicago to meet with my attorney several different times. And the weight of all that that I felt was like constantly wearing this big, heavy, emotional blanket. And even if somebody had told me, you know, these three things, you know, I could do to see the failure of my marriage as my friend, I'm not sure I could have done it in that moment. So I tell you that as encouragement for whatever failure you may be in the middle of right now. Listen to these suggestions through the filter of, in time, these can be mine, rather than, oh, you should be able to do this right now. So here are my three tips for learning to embrace failure as a friend. Number one, experiencing a failure does not make me a failure. When I was in fifth grade, there was this girl in my class named Debbie who lived down the street in this apartment. And her mom was divorced. And at that time, Debbie was the only person in my limited world experience who had parents who were divorced. I grew up in a time when divorce was kind of the rare exception rather than the accepted rule. And couple that with the fact that my parents were married for 58 years before they passed away, the idea of me getting a divorce was just completely out of the question. I mean, I would simply never let that happen. So when it did happen, it rocked my world on a whole bunch of levels. And to this day, I would say it was my biggest failure. It was painful, and it caused a lot of hurt in me, and that was a part of me causing a lot of hurt in other people, especially my own children. But that failure that I certainly didn't handle all parts of perfectly was not the entire definition of me. Even in the midst of it, I was still showing up and teaching my second grade students and taking walks with my friend Gail and singing on the worship team at church, you know, doing just the regular, normal, good things of life. And I say this because whatever failure you've experienced, or even if you are experiencing one right now, it's simply a part of your life. It's not the whole of your life. In Jeff Henderson's book that's called What to Do Next, he explains it this way. He says, I've started to stand alongside my failures instead of seeing them as within me. These failures are events 
They aren't me. And I don't know, just thinking about it that way gives me this mental image of standing next to a friend with my arm around them instead of trying to attack an enemy who I think hurt me. And by the way, I just have to make a shameless plug for Jeff Henderson's book. It is a fabulous read, especially if you're trying to figure out, ooh, what is my next best step in life? It's a serious book, but it also makes you laugh out loud while you're reading it because he is just so good at saying surprising truth in a funny way. I highly recommend it. Okay, so tip number one is experiencing a failure does not make me a failure. Tip number two is big failures can lead to big growth. I remember a conversation with one of my teaching colleagues, Sue, as we were driving back from a conference we had attended about reading strategies. And this was shortly after my divorce was final. And I remember she said to me, do you think you grew more before your divorce or since it's happened? And it was a question I really hadn't thought about until she asked it, but I knew instantly. And I said, uh, without a doubt, it's been since all this has happened. And it felt kind of good to be able to say that. It really was sort of an aha moment for me. I mean, when you're in the middle of a failure, it is so easy to just get hyper-focused on how bad it is. And I'm not saying failure is fun, but what's funny to me now thinking back on that conversation from 23 years ago is I realize it may have been the first real personal growth question I'd ever been asked. And it felt really good to be able to say that I had grown in the midst of it and even because of it. So what I can tell you now is that the growth I've experienced in my life since that time has been just astronomical. I mean, things like having the confidence to plan a vacation for myself and my three kids all on my own. Now, that might not sound like a big deal to you, but that was something that I had just always kind of deferred to my ex-husband to do. Even being able to navigate the whole, you know, looking for a new job outside the field of education and creating a resume. I mean, I had only worked as a teacher and I'd been doing that for 13 years. So the thought of stepping into the business world have felt very daunting. But you know what? I did it. And that was growth. I could literally talk for hours about all the ways pursuing personal growth has changed my life. You can relax. I'm not going to do that right now. I don't think all that growth would have happened, though, if I hadn't gone through that big failure. If I just stayed married and teaching and comfortable. No, I know it wouldn't. Because failing is what forced me to look at myself and think about myself in different ways. And that brings me to tip number three, which is, Growing from failure requires humility. So my ex-husband had an affair, divorced me, and eventually married the other woman. Now, you might think that I should have been glad to, you know, get rid of him. But it was a loss, a loss of the way things had always been, the loss of our family unit, the loss of my identity as a married person, and just the loss of being part of a couple. And when it happened, I had choices that I had to make. 
I could have decided to spend the rest of my life uh, pointing my finger and blaming my ex for ruining my life. I could have decided to just become bitter and never trust anyone to get close to me again, which, yikes, that's a scary thought because I would have missed out on Sam. I could have tried to make his life miserable, like, you know, you'll be sorry you ever messed with me. Or I could have just shut down and let depression overtake me and self-medicate with shopping or drinking. I mean, none of those would have been great choices. Uh, Well, maybe the shopping. Okay, no, no, it wouldn't. There probably would have been people who would have supported most of those choices and, you know, said things like, oh, you poor thing. Of course you're behaving that way. You know, it's, it's normal that you would. But here's what I've learned. Allowing negative experiences of the past to warp your future, it's like living in a coffin. It puts a lid on you, and it can end your life. Now, I'm hoping you can tell that from the fact that I'm doing this podcast today, I made different choices. It was not always easy to make the choices I did, but looking back now, oh, I'm so glad that I did. For years, I've heard people say, you know, well, experience is the best teacher, And I think I used to believe that, but I don't anymore. I mean, if all we needed was experience to teach us something, then the person who gets stopped for speeding once would learn and they'd never do it again. Or the person who drives drunk and has an accident would never do that again. But we all know people can continue to make the same poor choices over and over and over. Their experience doesn't teach them anything. Like the way I made a pan of brownies every week for several months during COVID. Mm, Not a good choice. So the experience itself isn't the teacher. Evaluated experience is. And that takes time, energy, effort, and humility. Humility is that elusive but necessary character trait that is so critical to our being able to truly evaluate and learn from an experience. It's that thing we need because it opens our eyes and, I don't know, I like to say broadens our view. It keeps us from being focused on justifying ourselves or trying to look good. I read this quote from uh, baseball great Lou Brock, and here's what he said. Show me a guy who's afraid to look bad and I'll show you a guy you can beat every time. Why did he say that? It's because that person's eyes are closed to everything around him. He's way too focused on himself and trying to look good. We've all been around the person who thinks that, you know, they're all that in a bag of chips and are completely unaware that they are the reason we're having the problem we're having. So what's so hard about this failing thing is that when we fail, and notice I said when we fail, not if, when we fail at something, it is so easy to just want to close our eyes to our part in it and then spend time shifting blame or pointing fingers. If we're going to embrace this idea that failure is my friend, it means we have to be willing to extend grace to other people and to ourselves. And we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable looking at why we failed. You know, things like, oh, how did my actions and beliefs contribute to my failure? Or what could 
I have done differently, and why didn't I? Or where did I try to pass the blame or shirk my responsibility? Asking those kinds of questions of ourselves, it's hard to do. But if we don't, it's a little like blaming the grocery store for selling ice cream after we drove there, bought the quart of Ben and Jerry's, and then ate the entire thing in one sitting. Owning our part in our failure, yeah, that can be challenging. But when we can do it, that is when the growth happens. So in my failed marriage case, I believe that because my parents had stayed married their entire lives, the same thing would just naturally happen to me because that's just the way life worked. That belief influenced my behavior. I mean, I could have addressed things that I knew were a concern faster and with more intention. I could have not allowed my fear of conflict to ignore things or just kind of push them under the rug because, oh, I wanted to keep the peace. At the beginning of this episode, I asked you to think about a time when you failed and then what you did immediately after you failed. So here's the big question of the day. How did an attitude of humility, a willingness to learn from your failure, come into play? And if it didn't, why didn't it? And here's my true confession. For me, with my divorce, it was quite a while. In fact, longer than I care to admit, before I came to that place of really being able to learn from it. It's amazing how humility can help us to have a clear and realistic view of ourselves. And that is when we can really learn and grow. So up until now, when I've talked about this idea of creating the characteristics of a growth environment, I've gone from thinking about it with you know, your team or your family, and then I've talked about doing the same thing in your personal life. You may have noticed that today, I started with the personal side. Because this idea of failure and being able to have the humility to really look at our failures and learn from them, I just think it has to start inside of us before we can ever hope to really be able to extend grace to others in their failures. So how will we do it allowing others to fail will be in direct proportion to how much we believe that experiencing a failure does not make us a failure and that big failures can lead to big growth and that growing from failure requires humility. So, That way that I mentioned at the beginning about how you can ensure you always win no matter what, it's to make certain that you're willing to have the humility to learn from your failures. And when you can embrace failure as your friend and maybe even get to the place where you believe that the person who fails the most wins, when you're able to do that, you will always win. That sounds a little daunting, and you're questioning whether you can do that by yourself. You're not alone in that thought. It's one of the reasons I have a coach. Okay, actually, I have two coaches because I need extra help. But if you'd like to explore one-on-one coaching, you can click on the contact button on my website at amybarge.com, and then just choose coaching from the drop-down menu, and I will be in touch. And if you're a woman listening to this, 
you could think about joining my Women Growing on Purpose community. Because in that community, we talk about failure and growth and mindset. And we encourage and support each other in the process of focusing on personal growth. There's more info about that on my website too. It's at amybarge.com forward slash WGOP slash membership, which stands for Women Growing on Purpose. There's a little short one-minute video there that tells you more. So I'm going to sign off with the quote about failure that I love from Dennis Waitley. Here's what he said. Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. It's a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid only by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. I don't know about you, but that is not the way I want to live. I'll take embracing failure as my friend every single time. Here's your great big woohoo for completing another episode of the Growing with Amy podcast. I want to encourage you, let something you heard nudge something you'll do. And until next time, remember, to be going somewhere, you've got to be growing somewhere. Bye for now.